Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. So this is Primetime Crime, and I'm Katrina Daniel, and it looks like the famous and infamous R&B artist R. Kelly can't fly after all. R. Kelly, whose real name is Robert Sylvester Kelly, was found guilty on all sex trafficking and sex with minors charges against him by a New York jury, and now he's facing decades in prison. Prosecutors called more than 45 witnesses against him. The trial took six weeks of taxpayers' money and time. But the jury took just nine hours to convict him. For a defense attorney, that's a slap in the face. We'll talk about Devereaux Kanick, Kelly's defense attorney, later. Right now, criminal defense attorney Joe Rosenbaum, an always very well-prepared lawyer, is here to dissect the R. Kelly case. A clip from R. Kelly's 2019 breakdown on CBS This Morning. You're telling me, man! relationship with my kids and I can't do it. Y'all just don't want to believe the truth. You don't want to believe it. At this point, we briefly pause the interview to give Kelly a moment. His publicist helped calm him down. I hope this camera keep going. No, we're going to let the camera keep rolling. This is not true. This doesn't even make sense. Why would I hold all these women? Their mothers and fathers told me we're going to destroy your career. One of my very, very favorite guests, defense attorney Joe Rosenbaum. Let's break down the R. Kelly case to those people who haven't been following it as closely as we have. Tell me what happened. Recap the case for me. R. Kelly is a very famous musician, singer, entertainer, and he had a proclivity for young women under the age of 18, and he used his company, his entourage, his drivers, his gophers, the people that work for him to seek out young, attractive, underage women, introduce them to to the star, and then they would keep in touch with them, fly them out to his houses in Georgia and, and in Chicago and to concerts and keep the women separate, keep them controlled, controlled every facet of their life and uh, engaged in sexual relations with them, filmed a lot of it, would show the films to people, and a lot of these women were underage. And it was kind of like a cult. They didn't leave, they had trouble leaving, the parents couldn't get them out of there. And this went on from the 90s to fairly recently. And uh, that's what this case was about. And the government used uh, the racketeering statute, which was it's typically used against organized crime, but now they're starting to use it in other ways. And they use the enterprise of um, his company, which is you know RSK Enterprises LLC and the employees and, and R. Kelly being the CEO as the way to get in all this evidence and misconduct that occurred prior to the statute of limitations 
before the, you know, earlier crimes that could not have been prosecuted by themselves. And they, they paraded 45 witnesses. The mainstay was five victims who came in live. Plus there were other victims that were not even in the indictment that came in both men and women. And one of the uh, victims in the case was a, um, a singer that he married when she was 15. Alia, I think her name is. Yeah. And there the person that got the fake ID for her from the DMV testified that he got the fake ID for her so that she could get married to Kelly. And the reason for the marriage was that they thought she was pregnant. And if, her, if they weren't married, her delivering a baby would be grounds for a statutory rape charge. So he married her. Some other little facets of the case were that he had herpes and other venereal diseases and never told any of the sex partners of his um, condition and therefore put them at risk. Um, so the doctor testified. Yeah, the doctor who'd been treating him for STDs for like 10 years. Right. And then the girls testified about the abuse, how they were kept separate. They weren't allowed to socialize. They, they didn't have their phones. They couldn't, didn't have internet access. They had to dress in sweatsuits so as not to show off their bodies. There were other men in the room. They couldn't look at them or they had to face the wall. Uh, they were told what to eat, what to wear, how to have sex. He controlled every facet of their life. And um, if they were, they misbehaved, he would beat them, slap them. Uh, there is even some testimony that he would uh, have their faces smeared with excrement and feces and, and force them to eat it. So it was, it was pretty brutal. The testimony was, was pretty brutal in this case. Kelly did not testify in his own defense. And I don't believe they even put on a defense. I think they just argued, you can't believe these people. They had relationships with them. It was consensual, but now they're, they're just taking it to another level that didn't happen before. And you can't believe them and you must find him not guilty. Well, the nine counts, the jury, the, the, the counts in the indictment, the jury came back after nine hours. I think it was seven men, five women. Yeah. Found him guilty of all counts. And he's now looking at a 10-year minimum mandatory for the racketeering up to a life sentence, which will be up to the federal district judge in uh, the Eastern District of New York to sentence sometime in, I think it's in May of uh, 2022 is the sentencing. He's also facing charges in Illinois, state charges. He's facing charges in Chicago. These were New York charges. So he's looking at more trials, although do you think he's going to plead in those other cases? You know, it depends. He's, he's got charges in Illinois, Minneapolis. Yep. There's a federal trial in Chicago on child pornography and obstruction charges. Yes. And two state prosecutions, one in the state of Illinois and one in the state of Minnesota. Um, I don't know. It, it depends. You know, it depends. I mean, he's until the appeal done on this case, my advice would be that he shouldn't plead out on anything because if he pleads out on those and gets prison sentences. And then for some reason, the, the Eastern District of New York case is overturned, then he's doing time that he might not have to do and shouldn't do. So I would hold off um, pleading on those cases until the New York case is resolved. And that will go to the second district court of appeals. And uh, it'll take a year or two to wind its way through the system. But I doubt it'll go much higher than the second district court of appeals. If you were his defense attorney, 
would you have advised him to testify or not? No, if you've seen him in the interviews he did on TV, the guy can't control himself. He's beating his chest. He's standing up. He's screaming. He's looking like a raving lunatic. I would not put him on the stand. I don't like to put clients on the stand unless it's what's called an affirmative defense. That is self-defense, advice of counsel, something like that. But on a case like this, you either have witnesses that attack the credibility of the government's witnesses, or you argue reasonable doubt, inconsistency of the testimony. They didn't bring it up till recently. This happened 20 years ago. We're hearing it now for the first time, you know, that type of thing. But I would never put him on the stand. See, I disagree just because a uh, jurors who are common people love to hear from celebrities and that might have made him more human to jurors but I, and the prosecution would eat him alive. But that would have made for a much more dramatic trial. Oh, yeah. But I think he's hard to control. I've, all his interviews have been terrible. None of his interviews have helped him leading up to this trial. So basically, the bottom line is he's going to be in prison for a, a, the foreseeable future. He's not out on appeal, is he? Will he be released on appeal? No, don't forget, he failed to show for federal court. He was in custody pre-trial. Uh, this is a case with a 10-year minimum mandatory. I don't think he can even be released on appeal based on the law that he's got to stay in now. Um, and that's it. He's already done a couple of years. But, uh, you know, he's got a 10-year. I don't know what the guidelines are going to be on this. The victim impact statements are going to be brutal. Yeah. The sentencing is going to be maybe more brutal than the trial. Um, it's going to be an ugly day in Brooklyn or a couple of days in Brooklyn for him when the judge hears this. Uh, the judge there is a female judge. Ooh. And uh, I don't know too much about her. I've never appeared in front of her. I've had several cases up there, but she's not one of the judges I've been in front of. I haven't looked her up to see what her reputation is. But I don't think any judge is going to let him off. No, uh, with just no. 10 years, he's 50 years old. She's going to fashion a sentence that's sufficient and reasonable and, and one that one that's not more than necessary. You know, he's probably going to get a sentence in the neighborhood of about 40 years or more. Four zero. Yeah, I think. Wow. So. Wow. That's, um, this is a brutal case. This is yes, a it is indeed. Case. It is indeed. And, and something people aren't looking at is you have all these witnesses People don't agree on things. Women don't certainly agree on things. There's a lot of jealousy and infighting, and yet all of these women agreed that they had been abused. Yep. Now, I don't know if there's any legal issues there for the appeal, so it'll be interesting when they file their brief what there is. You know, like in the Cosby case, Yeah. the main issue there that no one really knew about was that there was an agreement in the civil case that he could give the deposition, but they would give him immunity from prosecution. Yet the new district attorney filed charges, and that was the main thing in the case. Yeah. He was guaranteed that, and now they're using it against them, and that's why that case was overturned. It's not yeah. that no one believed the victims. They did believe the victims. They believed right. the witnesses. He did commit the crimes, but the initial district attorney made a bad deal, and it, yeah. it wasn't enforced. And yeah. It should have been dismissed before it went to trial, but that's why that case is, is where it is. Devereaux Canick, who was the defense attorney for R. Kelly, compared R. Kelly to Martin Luther King. <laughs> yeah, I, I read that. What I read the that hell? I read that somewhere. I'm not sure what he was thinking about. I don't know this guy. 
I mean, seriously, why would you say something that stupid? Yeah, he also made some other comments. You know, um, press. you know, of course, we were disappointed in the verdict. Yes. Okay, that's pretty stock. And then he said, I'm even more disappointed in the prosecution for bringing this case, adding that it was replete with inconsistencies. So I'm not sure what he's really referring to, but the jury didn't find it as such. And, you know, it, look, a nine hour verdict. Yeah. Is that fast? To the six week trial? Yeah. I mean, it's not fast, but this jury considered everything. I mean, yeah. nine hours, 45 witnesses. Yeah. They did their job. And really not much of a defense other than to try to discredit the witnesses. Here's what he says. Getting a conviction of Art Kelly is a big deal, Mr. Canick said in his summation, invoking Martin Luther King Jr. in an attempt to argue that if jurors acquitted Mr. Kelly, they would be demonstrating the sort of courage that defined the civil rights movement. What's a bigger deal is a system we can trust. And then the prosecutors counted with, of course, that the uh, conviction would demonstrate that even the biggest, most powerful people and stars were not untouchable by the law. That, to me, is a better argument. You know, yeah. I'm actually shocked that it's taken so many decades to to convict R. Kelly of anything. You need witnesses. Well, need you had 45 people who came up with very individual stories. From different angles, his manager, his assistants, his runners, everyone that worked with him over a period of several years had a different story to contribute about his actions. So there you go. And it was only a six week trial with 45 witnesses, jury selection and COVID. Uh, the identities of the jurors have been kept secret. They weren't seen. The witnesses testified from the I think they testified from the audience in order to spread it out because of the, the pandemic. Oh, I see. Okay. So and so the, the, so spectators were only able to watch it on monitors set up in the courthouse or streamed out. They weren't able to, um, to be in the courtroom itself because they really kept it distant. But the, but the drawings that you can see uh, that, that the uh, artist did, the courthouse sketch did, a lot of people were wearing masks. There were a lot of shields up. Um, I don't know if the jurors were masked up or not, probably were, but that's, that, you know, that's scary. You know, yeah. here it is. You have a right to confrontation. It's guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution. And you pick a jury where you can't even see their faces. You can't see their micro expressions. You don't know if they're smirking at you, smiling at you, growling at you. You don't know what they're doing. And then, you, then your client is sitting there on some serious charges wearing a mask. Now, maybe for R. Kelly, it was a good thing because he has trouble controlling himself. Maybe he could have controlled himself in the trial. But I don't find that fair. And I don't know if the defense raised those issues and they're there for appeal. Yeah, they are. That was a good point, Joe. I was told to go to trial this week on a 1991 sexual battery case, DNA only. And um, I told the judge that if, if we follow Governor DeSantis and we all took off our masks because they, you don't have to have masks in school, so why the courtroom? And that way we could see the jurors and they could see my client. And if we had no masks, I said, I'm fully vaccinated. So let's go. We do it that way, then I'm ready. But if my client's going to be masked and if the jurors are going to be masked, then I think it's a violation of the Sixth Amendment. He stopped, nodded his head, understood and says, 
continuance, 60 days. Our governor says, we don't need masks unless the client's begging me to go to trial. Right. And he, and he waves it all because I don't want to have to litigate it later. Otherwise, I, I don't think it's fair to go to trial. I know it's bogging down the system, but there are minor cases that can be tried with masks, but nothing that, that, that you know, where you're looking at a life sentence to be tried with everybody masked up. I have a problem with that. So is that a life sentence that you're, or are you talking about R. Kelly? Well, R. Kelly's looking at a potential life sentence. My client's looking at a, even though the guidelines are in the 20s, the judge could find factors and launch him for a life sentence. So let's talk about R. Kelly's defense attorney, Devereaux Kanick, a lawyer from the Bronx, who I guess feared he had nothing left to lose when he compared R. Kelly to Martin Luther King. Oh yeah, everybody gets that immediately. Revered civil rights leader and child molesting pedophile and sex trafficker. Yep, makes perfect sense. Kanick's defense strategy for R. Kelly, he didn't put up much of a defense except to say that the victim's testimony was inconsistent, air quotes, and Kanick says, quote, R. Kelly was surprised at the verdict. Really? 45 witnesses, including people who've worked for you for decades and been close to you and your activities, and they all lied about you? That's got to be it. Poor R. Kelly. You're the real victim here, aren't you? Primetime crime. Until next time. And the next crime. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.